0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Get back in the flow of preaching today. I want to remind you that we've been in a series that we've been calling Focus 2020. And the whole idea of the series is to revisit our purpose and sort of look at what does it mean to love God, love people, share Christ, and make disciples. And we've been doing that because we talked about that when we sort of look at our vision statement, that that's supposed to be what is driving us, right? As a church, it ought to be, you know, what is our strategy should be built around that. What we do should be built around that. And so... What I've been trying to do through this uh, year, as we started off, is to give some clarity on what is that mission statement all about. And so we naturally started at the beginning of that by looking at the person of God and his characteristics and some of his attributes. Uh, We spent the month of January doing that. And listen, we got a great God, don't we? I'm just thankful that we got it. Boy, it's weekend here. All right. We got, I know it's been, you lost an hour's sleep. I get it. I get it. I was there too. I didn't want to get up this morning. Amen. Anybody else not want to get up this morning? Why is it about time change? You just don't want to get up. I don't get it. But I get up early anyway. But it's just weird. I guess thinking you lost an hour. So uh, probably because you don't sleep good. Because you always think about the alarm going off, right? So we're looking at clarity. We're looking at you know this great God. And so we looked at God, and then we sort of jumped into Missio Day. We talked about missions in the month of February. We talked about. What God is doing, and we remember we talked about missions comes out of the heart of God. It's not the idea of men; it's the heart of God. And God's a missional God. I mean, you just read the Old Testament, you begin to see, you know, great examples of that. God sending Jonah to Nineveh—that's uh, a missionary heart that God had for the people of Nineveh. And listen, Jonah didn't have the heart to go. As a matter of fact, when he at the end of the book of Jonah, what do we find Jonah doing? Sitting under, you know, a, a tree, and then God lets a worm eat it, and he's sulking, and he's mad, and here's what he says to God. I knew that you are a forgiving God, that you would, you would forgive them and relent. And Why? Because he knew God was a missionary God. He just didn't have the missionary spirit in his heart. Amen? And so uh, we ought to realize that missions comes out of the heart of God, and that's why we... Get engaged and involved in missions, and so I sort of want to sort of shift gears a little bit this morning and move to a different focus. but before I tell you what that is, you know I want you to, to know that you can go into a bookstore of any kind anywhere, and you can find in there a section that is called self helps i don 't know if you ever been to the self help section at a bookstore, uh, but there in that section, you can find all kinds of books. That will help you. So you can find a book on dieting. You, you can find a book on relationships. You can find a lot of books these days on money management and how to manage money. You can find books on leadership. You can find a lot of stuff that will tell you how to make your life. Here it is. Here's what everybody's looking for. How to make your life better right? Everybody's looking for happiness or they're looking for joy and they're looking to make their life better. Are you, amen? I mean, wouldn't you say that's what most people are doing? Most people want to have a better life than what they got right now. And so they go and they look in all these places to try to find a better life. And the topics could go on. We could talk about that all day long. But the reality is you don't need to go to a bookstore to find how to have a better life. You don't need to go and find a uh, self-help author who has written some book on some subject. Because here's the reality. Anyway, those kinds of books are like the exercise equipment we buy for the house. What happens to most of the equipment we buy for the house? Coat hanger. Amen. That's right. Most of the time they hold the clothes that, you know, we don't want to hang up. And self-help books are like that too. We may read a book and think, well, this is gonna help me. But we begin to read it and we find out, I don't know if, if you're this way or not, most of the books I've ever read towards that vein, the first three quarters of the book is nothing but fluff. All it is is about that person, how they may have had some kind of revelation or experience in their life that caused them to write the book. And then there's that little section at the end that's not even practical. But it just tells you at the end, oh, if you just do these five things, you'll have a better life. You know, and it's like, really? Is it, is it that easy? Well, it's, it's that easy if you'll have the mindset. It's that easy if you'll apply them, maybe. But the reality is, they just sit on our shelves and they don't do anything. But save yourself the money because you already own a book, most likely. And if you don't see me, we'll get you one. But you already own a book that can tell you literally truthfully, how to have a better life. Amen? And by the way, I'm not talking about what the famous author said a couple of years ago, have your best life now. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you want to have a more impactful life? Do you want to make a difference for eternity? Then you have to have this book. And this book is obviously the Bible. So I want to talk about the Bible this month and talk about a just a couple of things just to remind you But more importantly, to help you to understand that everything we do, everything that we say should come as foundational from the scriptures. Amen? We got a lot of churches. Listen, there's a lot of churches out there today. And there's a lot of churches that are not scripturally founded. All right? There's a a lot of preaching out there today that sounds like it may be from the Bible, but it It may be one verse read at the beginning of a sermon, but never addressed again. They never come back to it. It always baffles me. I I listened to a preacher when I was in college, and uh, he had a wonderful, wonderful illustrative message. And at the end of the message, I thought, you know, this is kind of great. This is a, a powerful story that he told, but we never, ever dealt with the text. And I thought, that's not preaching. Listen, if you leave here and you're more enamored with my illustration than you are the Word of God, I have done something wrong. I don't want to wow you with illustrations and video clips and all of that at the expense of giving you the Word of God. Amen? And that's what's happening. There's a lot of preachers who are preaching self-help sermons and they're doing that by proof texting verses of Scripture or reading a verse at the beginning and never coming back to it. Because they're more concerned about how to help you to have a happy marriage, how to help you to be more successful at work, how to be a better leader, all that great stuff, than they are with your soul. Because listen, what's gonna last is not your leadership. What's gonna last is your soul. And so I wanna invest in that. And how do you invest in that? I think it's by the word of God. Because the Bible is where it's at, y'all, okay? So we're gonna spend the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, the creeks don't rise. I think the rain's over. But Lord willing, we're gonna, we hope anyway, you know, we're going to talk about the Bible. And so I want us to begin today, and I've titled this little mini-series. So a series inside of a series, a little mini-series. I've entitled it Trustworthy. Trustworthy. I want you to think about that. The Bible is trustworthy. We hear a lot of people Question that. We have a lot of people say, oh, is that really the case? Is that is the Bible really trustworthy? We learned last week in our conference on Islam that the Muslims don't believe that. They believe it's a corrupt book. Uh, we, we listen, but not only Muslims believe that. There's a lot of folks who have twisted and bent the scripture to try to make it something that it's not. There, listen, even some denominations who have taken the original and they have, twisted it around to make their own version to fit their religion. Think about that this morning. So when we begin to think about the Bible, we begin to think about this book that we hold in our hands. And is it really trustworthy? Can I really believe the words that are on the page? Can I really believe that it can change my life and make a difference? Can I really believe that? And, you know, the sad thing is, folks, the reality is that even though we know the world's going to challenge that, even though lost people are going to do that, you know, we, we understand because of it's easier, right? It's easier to say the Bible is corrupt than to say it's true and believe in God and surrender your life to him. It's easier to say the Bible's corrupt. It's easier to say, well, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. I don't want to live according to some book, especially if I think it's archaic or ancient or whatever, Uh, it's easier for people to do that. But the sad reality is that there are people who call themselves Christians who don't live by this book. You know why, by the way? Because they think that this book is all about spiritual issues and nothing else. In other words, they don't think it addresses anything but your spiritual life. And the reality is, that's not true. It's not true at all. And so the apostle Paul writes to us and he helps us to begin to understand in 2 Timothy chapter three, he helps us to begin to understand why is this book reliable? Why is it trustworthy? Now I want you to turn there. And as you're turning there, just listen to the context of which Paul is writing to young Timothy. He's writing Timothy to the young pastor. And so he's writing to him and he's saying in the beginning of the chapter Timothy, there are going to be perilous times coming because there are going to be evil men who are given to all kinds of various sins, lovers of themselves, haters of what's good. And he describes the evil and wicked age. And I think that many of us would have to say that's probably where we're living today, right? We're living in perilous times. We're living in times where, listen, folks, we're, we're now calling good evil and evil good. That's the kind of age in which we live. I mean, it's kind of disgusting when you think about it. It's it's just backwards, right? It's this weird age we're living in. And I talk to other preacher friends all the time. We're just like, you know, this is just a a different time than it ever was when, when I started preaching or when they started preaching. And so it's just a different time. And so Paul is writing to me saying, listen, these times are gonna come. And he even calls out some guys that went against Moses. And he says that, In those times, what do you need to rely on? In those difficult times, in those difficult days, when the evil men seem to be ruling the world, where do you go to find answers? Where do you go to find stability for your life? And you know what his answer is? The Bible. And so I want you to look down there with me in verses 16 and 17 as he sort of draws well, let's just go back to verse ten because I think it's so good to look at the context. But he says, "But you have carefully followed my doctrine." He tells Timmy, Timothy, "Timothy, you are already doing this." He says, "Timothy, you followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium." He said in Lystra, "What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me." Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. That's a great word, isn't it? But evil men, he said, imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There it is. Deceiving and being deceived. That's the age we live in. People are all about deception. What's the big thing today? Fake news, right? Nobody seems to tell the truth anymore. And even if they are sort of telling the truth, they're bending it and twisting it to make it fit the way they want it to fit. Amen? Isn't that so true? Are y'all with me this morning? It's so true. And that doesn't matter. And that's not just in the political realm. That's in anything. And so people are doing that with conversations on Facebook. It's, It's amazing how people are doing that. And so he says, people are gonna be deceived and they're gonna be deceiving others. He said, but you, verse 14, must continue in these things which you have learned and been assured of, and knowing from where you have learned them, he's drawing down, notice what he says, and from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, if we just stop right there, most people say, amen. And that's where most Christians leave it. Yeah, through the scripture, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saved. That settles it. Praise God. And we sort of just leave it there. And we say, well, that's all the Bible's good for. We're just going to share the gospel out of it. We're going to give people the gospel out of it. You know, and that's sort of where we leave it. But that's not where Paul left it. Paul said, yeah, it's great, Timothy, you know Jesus. And out of the scriptures, you came to know him. That's awesome that you did that. By the way, you cannot know Jesus. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus without the scripture. Amen general revelation when you look out there and we say oh well the the stars testify and the trees testify and this testifies." yeah that does testify but it's only for those of us who are believers do we get it lost people don't get it they don't look at the sun the moon and the star and go well there's a great god out there they go oh, i wonder what that higher power is you know some tribes will then make idols it's interesting right they, don't, they cannot get God out of the grass and the flowers and the bumblebee. Listen, that's, that's nice. And that sounds wonderful and fluffy, but it's not reality. You need the word of God because it's the word of God. is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We're gonna talk about that sometime this month, I pray. And so he says, don't stop at salvation, but he says, go on. Notice verse 16. All scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God. It is profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction or training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen to what he's saying. You and I need to understand that the scripture is not just for salvation, but it is for our continual growth. So, can we trust the Bible? Is it trustworthy for those things? Well, you notice... Verse 16, I want to point out a word to you. Listen to what he says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspired, I want you to understand, the Bible is inspired. I want you to think about what that means for me because here's the problem. How do you define those terms? For example, if you look it up in the dictionary, you'll find that the word inspired is used in the sense that an author can write a book because they were, they were inspired to write the book because of their trip to Mexico. Or they were inspired to write the book by having a conversation by, with somebody. And so we, we go, oh, okay, so the Bible is, is God-inspired. That means that here's what God did. God sort of uh, got with Paul and sort of inspired him. You know, Paul had this, like, moment why by which he felt inspired. Oh, I'm gonna sit down and write a letter now because I feel inspired. And so that's how some people interpret the Bible. They say, well, see, yeah, the Bible's written by men, just God inspired him. You know, God just sort of gave him some kind of holy mojo and he just felt warm and fuzzy. And because he felt warm and fuzzy, he decided to write half the New Testament. That's not what we mean. That's not what inspiration is saying. The, the Greek word that's being used there for inspiration is theos pneumatos. Theos pneumatos is the word, literally means this. It's two words, meaning theos, God, pneumatos, breathe. Here's what it's literally saying. The Bible is God, breathe. So literally, what are we saying? Now, when we look at the Bible, we see the pages of the Bible, we see the words of the Bible. What we, what we see there is what God literally breathe out of his own lungs to give us. Think about that. The Bible is literally God's word. Now there's times when certainly God gave that in dictation, right? We know when Moses went up on the mountain and got the 10 commandments, God gave him the first set of tablets. And what did he do? He got mad and he threw them down. So he went back and God said, Not this time you're gonna work for it, amen? And God made him, take the stones, and he hewed them out, and then he had to put on the tablets, right? There's times when God, in, in a vision, gave a word. There's times when God spoke face to face and gave word. There's times when, when God used prophetic utterance to give word. But regardless of how God did that, it wasn't to inspire a guy to just write. It was God saying, this is what to write. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, Charles Ryrie, a theologian, sort of gives us an understanding of what inspiration is about. Listen to what he says. It is the act by which God has superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error his message in words of their original writings. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that God spoke. It has, that he spoke they began to write. And as they began to write, God guided that writing in such a way that what we have in the original autographs of Scripture are a perfect utterance from God. Think about that. Does that not add value to the Scripture? Does that not add value to the Bible that you hold in your hand? It should. If it doesn't, something's wrong with us. Right? We we ought to understand that what we hold in our hands... And and, you know, and we can get in all these debates, and maybe we'll talk about some of this in the sermon series. But people get in all these debates. Well, that 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 only goes to the original autographs, and you know, we have a translation that we have, and there's errors in translations. Listen, let me just tell y'all something: God, who can speak the word and breathe it out, do you not think He's capable to, to preserve His word? Do you not think that God, in the preservation of His word throughout centuries of time, do you not think He's capable to make sure that we got it right today? I believe he is. Why? Because it's his word, right? It's his word. This book is his word. And it's valuable to us. And so we ought to be getting all of life from this book. Amen? This is not just for faith. It's for all of life. Right here. Right here in this book. So inspiration. So God inspired. He brought us this word that he breathed out. And that's what makes it reliable. Why? Because God, remember we saw God in, in, in January, so God is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. God is not a liar. God is fully trustworthy. And that extends to the Bible. So God inspired it. Now, I'm going to deal more with inspiration next time, next, next week, Lord willing, when we get back together. Because I want you to see what Peter has to say about how that really literally looked like from God, to person, from God to Peter, God to Paul. What does that look like? We're going to talk about that next week. So you just hold on to that thought this morning. It's God breathed, God given, his word dictated for us that we have a reliable source. We have a reliable book that we hold in our hands. And that's so crucial, folks. And notice what he says. Paul says in verse 16 that it, it stems to all of scripture. That is, that... <laughs> Listen, that doesn't just mean the red letters are inspired, okay? Too many people want to say, "Well, it's the red letters." Well, the red letters, yeah, okay. First of all, you, you need to understand none of the gospels were writ, written with red letters in them, okay? None of them. All right, all right. So it, it's funny I hear people say, "Well, it's good enough for Paul. It's good enough for me." Well, Paul didn't have a King James version, okay? Uh, I hate to tell you. And by the way, the King James is not the original. Uh, English text either. There was many others before that. Okay. And so don't, don't buy into that philosophy because that's not, that's not, you know, where we need to go. All right. But you understand, but it extends to all the Bible. So Genesis, listen, listen, this is important. Genesis is just as authoritative as the Sermon on the Mount. Think about that. It's just as authoritative as the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that sets some people back a little bit. People don't believe that, but it's the truth. And so we have this inspired word of God that is the whole of Scripture that's been given and it extends to the whole of the Bible. So the whole Bible is reliable. Now, why is that important? Because, Because it tells us a lot of what we need to know about how we live our lives day by day, moment by moment as followers of Christ. The second thing Paul says, notice in the text, all scripture is given by God breathing. And then he says this, it's profitable. That word profitable is interesting. It is is the word to mean beneficial or productive. Sounds a whole lot like what God said before, right? That God says, my words should go forth from my mouth, right? And what did he say about it? It's going to accomplish that which I desire to accomplish. Isn't it interesting that God has given us the word of God in order that it would be productive, that it would accomplish what he set it forth to do. And so we think about the Bible this morning, understand the Bible is productive. It is something that you and I need in our life. And when we think about that, understand, listen, understand that he gives us four areas it's productive in. Notice that, notice them. He says, first of all, it's probable for doctrine. That is teaching God's truth. Where do we get our doctrine of salvation from? We get it from the Bible. Where do we get our doctrine of the end times? We get it from the Bible. Where do we we get our doctrine of sin? From the Bible, right? Well, all that we get from the scriptures. And listen, and if anybody says, well, the Bible says, but, turn them off. Don't listen to them. Their theology is whacked, all right? So don't listen to them. Because our theology ought to come from the book, from the Bible, Amen? So if it's not in here, be all leery of it, all right? You know, John said, test the spirit, see if they're from God. One of the ways you test the spirit, see if it's from God, is from this book. Listen, if I listen to a preacher and it doesn't line up in the Bible, I'm gonna go, oh, whoa, 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 I don't need to listen to him. I don't need to listen to him. Why? Because that's not lined up with scripture. That's not lining up with the truth. His doctrine's not right. It's not in alignment with the word of God. And there's a lot of it out there, let me tell you. It sounds biblical, it sounds right, and somebody said before, you know, well, you know, they're at least telling a half-truth. No, a half-truth's a lie. But the other thing is, Satan is good about telling half-truths, isn't he? If you don't believe that, go back to Genesis 3. He told a lot of half-truths. And why did he tell them? Because he wants to entrap men, people, in sin. And the best way to entrap people in sin is to get them to believe half-truth. a You believe half-truth, you'll be, you'd be, you'd be you're stuck, right? And so listen, it's profitable for us to teach God's word. So doctrine, we get our doctrine here. But it's also, listen, listen, it's also important to answer questions like this. When we talk about doctrine, it's important to answer questions like this. Where do humans come from? Why, why, are we, why do we say we don't believe in evolution as Christians? Where, where do humans come from? Well, do you believe that God said in six literal days he created the earth? First of all, scientists weren't there. So second of all, scientists can't prove it. they are theories. Third of all, God's reliable. The Bible's reliable. I'm gonna believe God. Why? Because he was there. And he said, this is what happened. Amen? And why do we have a hard time with that, by the way? Why do we wanna believe the white-coated scientists? Why do we wanna do that? Why do we wanna say, well, they are smart. They know. Well, let me tell you, why do we believe them over God? Don't make any sense. It takes more faith to believe in evolution, it doesn't believe the pages of Genesis 1 1. It also, what is God like? You want to know what God's like? Read the Bible. What, here, here's one What does God expect of me? Read the Bible. The Bible will tell you that. But here's the good thing about it it's not just good for doctrine. Remember, we said it's good for other things? Practicality. What about practical living? Let's just, let's just think about practical living. You know, the Proverbs are replete with scriptures on how you ought to spend your money. How you ought to save your money. How your money ought to be saved up so you have an inheritance for your children's children. Think about that. It tells you how to spend your money, what to do with it. Listen, guys, you want to know how to deal with your wife? The scripture tells you how to have a good marriage, right? Ladies, you want to know how to deal with your husband? The Bible tells you how to do that, amen? There's a lot of practicality in the scriptures. And so we have all of that in there. You want to know how to treat your enemies? (laughs) The Bible teaches you how to do that that's practicality y'all we got to get away from that the bible is just doctrine it is for living every day of our life godly and for the lord i like the way one pastor said it listen to this the bible is like the instruction manual you get when you buy a new computer the manufacturer explains to you how to operate the equipment for maximum results if you would be foolish to spend a lot of money, or it would be foolish for you to spend a lot of money on a new computer and then ignore, or even worse, violate the manufacturer's instructions. God, God has created people, and the Bible is his instruction manual on how to live for the best results. It's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty good. But not only does the Bible teach us, but listen, the Bible confronts us. Notice what he says. All scripture given by inspiration of God, profitable. For he says, for doctrine, here it is, for reproof. This is the part we don't like. Have you ever read the Bible and go, oh, that got me? (laughs) You ever been there? God uses reproof. That is correction. God sometimes will have to say to us, Hey, you know that's sin. You gotta deal with that. That's in your life. I don't like those times, do you? When I'm reading the Bible and God says, hey, Mike, you gotta deal with that. That's something that's in your life, you know? I remember one time hearing a guy say, you know, he never really understood what it was like to love your enemies until he started having enemies. And then he started being confronted with that, saying, okay, God, you really mean this. How do I love my enemies? And he had to think about some practical ways that he could love his enemies as God told him to love his enemies. Think about that. Do we, sometimes we even read texts and go, well, I'm not really loving my enemies. How do I? You know, maybe I need to start obeying that scripture. God is confronting me with that. He's showing me that. And and that word, by the way, is the word that's used of a lawyer going into a courtroom, and he's he's looking at the other side's argument, and he's tearing it apart. He's, He's saying, that this is why, judge, that side is wrong. And he begins to give his case. That's what the Bible does against us. The Bible begins to have a case against us and begin to point out some things in our life and expose our sin. But here's the good thing about it. He doesn't stop just there. Notice the third word he uses in there. He's all scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Here it is, for correction. Again, we sort of tie that in. We say, well, there it is. He's reproving us again. But the word correction is not that word. The word correction literally could be reinterpreted for us to say child rearing. What are we talking about then? So correction, when I'm teaching my kids how to live right, I'm raising them up. I'm giving them the principles by which they ought to be living their lives. And hopefully they're doing that, right? So they'll be not just good adults, but hopefully functioning citizens, decent, upstanding people, right? Well, the Bible is to help you to be reared as a Christian child, as God's Christian child. And so we ought to be into the book so that it would set us aright. That's what the word literally means, to set us aright, that we would be reared up in the word of God, that we would not only know what it means or says, but that we are practicing its truth. And then there's a fourth word he uses, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, problem for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Here it is, for instruction in righteousness. You and I need instruction. You and I need to know how to live our lives. And so it comes hand in hand with that last word. It comes hand in hand with that word, to correct or a correction. But here, it's giving us literally the step-by-step, right? It's giving us the instruction that you and I need to live for the Lord. Now, all those are great words. All those are important words. But here's the reality. It's just like those self-help books. They mean nothing unless you read them. The Bible is nothing unless we read it. You know, we really, honestly, by the way we treat the Bible, we say a lot about how we think or feel about it. You know, a lot of times we'll say, we believe the Bible's infallible and errant. And I remember the Southern Baptist consurgents, you know, where we came back and we're going to go back to be conservative. And, you know, the Bible's God's authoritative word. And, you know, and that's where we stand on the Bible. But the problem is, y'all, we may stand on the Bible, and believe the Bible, but are we living it? Is the Bible, David, sufficient for life? That's the argument today. Many of us in this room say, yeah, we believe it. It's God's word. Everything you said, preacher, yeah, I agree. But the, the thing is, how are we treating the Bible? Do we throw it up in the back window of the car till next Sunday? Or on the front window of the car? You know, does it go home and sit on the coffee table in a prominent place in the house like it's some kind of mojo that's gonna bring peace and love to the house? Listen, that's, that's not the Bible at all, y'all. The Bible's a living book. And you and I have to study the Bible in order that God would speak through it into our lives, that it will be profitable to give us doctrine, to give us correction, to give us the righteousness that we need. But too many of us were too content. And here's the other thing you're too content to come on Sunday morning and come to Sunday school and let somebody give it to you in Sunday school or come listen to the preacher preach. But listen, it's not good enough. We need to take serious being in the word of God ourselves that the word of God can speak into our lives. Amen? And that's the whole point of the message today. So the Bible is inspired. It's profitable, but that's not where he leaves it. Notice in verse 17. Why is it so important that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work? So the Bible equips. What does it equip us for? Well, notice the word. First of all, that we may be complete. The word complete means mature. It doesn't mean that we've reached a perfection. Is there anybody perfect in the house? Nobody's perfect, amen? Praise God. We're all in the same boat. If we had perfect people in here, they'd wanna leave us because we're imperfect. But the reality is mature. Are you maturing in Christ? There's a lot of people who've been Christians a long time. But they're still spiritually immature. Why are they spiritually immature? Because they're not in the Word. They're not taking the Word for the Word it has to say. They're not studying the Word. They go, oh, that's, that's for salvation. That's for spiritual matters. I don't, I don't need that day day. Let me tell you, that's why you're still a child in Christ. You need to be in the Word every day because you need it every day. Why? Because it matures you in your faith, in, in your journey as a follower of Christ. So it's maturing us. But the second thing it does, notice what it does too. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. People say all the time, well, I don't know how to serve God. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing to serve God. Well, bless the Lord, oh my soul. What did the word just say? If I study the word, I'll implant the word, it seems to me like God figures it out for me. It just seems like the word guides me and leads me. Amen? And that God uses it to do something, to implant in my heart, to burn in my heart a desire for good works. Amen? By the way, here's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is God's already prepared good works for you to walk in them anyway, right? Ephesians 2.10. For by grace, what? You've been saved not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of grace, right? And faith. Why? And then he gets to the end. Now, nobody boasts. Then he gets to the end. But we are created in Christ. We're his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, how do I know what they are? Read the Bible. Get in the book. When you get in the book, guess what? And then what it just says? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, he says, for What? For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hmm. Sounds like, Daniel, we can go on a mission trip if we're in the Word, we're studying the Word. We can go on a mission trip not have to shrink back, right? We don't have to be afraid about what's going to happen there. Why? Because if we use the Word and we rely on the Word, the Word's going to equip us and prepare us for that very thing. Wow. What's the point, y'all? The point is if we're going to focus on 2020 and we're really going to be focused as a church and we're really going to say this is this mission statement, love God, love people, share Christ, make disciples, if this is really going to be the thing we're going to do, then listen, then we have to not only have a high view of God, not only do we have the heart of a missionary that God has, but listen, we ought to take God's word as literally God breathed out word. And we ought to take it into our life as valuable and as important Why? Because it's not a self-help book. But it is a book that's going to mature you in your faith. It's going to equip you in your service for the Lord. It will, sure enough, punch you in the gut sometimes. But man will lift you up other times. This is the words of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.